Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful and smoky uh, Central Oregon. Boy, it's been bad. I get allergy shots. I don't know if I told you that or not, but uh, boy, allergy shots don't uh, take care of the smoke that's in the air that just is making me feel horrible, very stuffed up. So if I have an odd sounding voice today, it's because, well, there's smoke in the air. And it's coming from the west and the east and the north and the south. We are surrounded. Hopefully by next week, it's going to kind of blow out, uh, maybe over Idaho. And uh, that, that'll be good, at least for us, not for Idaho. Anyways, welcome back. We are uh, continuing our uh, series through the Gospel of Luke. It's a, a long book, so it's a long series. And so uh, we're, I, I plan to be in this thing till the end of the year, probably. Anyways, we are in chapter 11, so if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be in chapter 11, and starting in verse 14, a very interesting passage of Scripture that not a lot of preachers like to tackle, because it has to do with the spiritual world, and I know that in our world, not a lot of people believe in the spiritual world anymore, at least those living in the first world, uh, in the Western world. Uh, We are so materialistic, we kind of forget that there is a spiritual side to life, you know, and so people wonder if the devil is real or if demons are real. There's a There was a French poet named Charles Baudelaire who uh, had a quote that has been repeated several times in, in a lot of different places. But it was, essentially it says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. Now, it's so funny because any other situation or scenario, we, we can imagine that something is real and dangerous, but it's not taken too seriously. By the way, there are movies about that that just drive me nuts. They frustrate me. You know, like, uh, hey, there's a giant shark on the coast eating people. But, hey, let's not close the beaches. Really? Or, or hey, there's a killer that's stalking us. So, you know what? Instead of staying together as a group, let's split up. Let's hide in, a, in an inescapable closet. Or let's just stick around the places until uh, the place until he finally finds us. Or... Uh, the movie that goes, hey, we have some dinosaur DNA. Let's resurrect the dinosaurs and then bring tourists to see them. Nothing would go wrong, right? So today's passage talks about the reality of a spiritual world that, again, unfortunately, too many people living in the Western world, the modern world, doesn't know exists or or is woefully misinformed about it. Now, the errors lie in either, again, having no clue that it exists or there's this a misunderstanding uh, so that they either don't take the realm very seriously, like, oh, the devil is just this little guy in red pajamas, horns, and a pitchfork. Or people fear it way too much. But none of those attitudes, uh, whether you deny that it exists or that you don't take it seriously or you take it too seriously and you fear it, none of those attitudes um, – is what God had intended for his people. So we're here in Luke chapter 11 to see what's happening here in Jesus's ministry that shows us what is going on in the spiritual world. We're going to start out in verse 14, and uh, let me just read the first three verses. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. All others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. 
Beelzebub, Beelzebub, literally the Lord of the Flies, right? That's what's going on here. Who is Beelzebub? We, we first read about Prince of Demons, this Prince of Demons in 2 Kings chapter 1, where it says, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, ah, ah, oh boy, Ahaziah, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Beelzebub was the god of Ekron here in the Old Testament in 2 Kings. And literally it means the Lord of the Flies or the Lord of the Dung Heap. So you can see the, the connection there. And ironically, uh, he was the one, this god, Beelzebub, was the one that Ahaziah was hoping would be helpful in his healing. Apparently, they had no idea how dung could actually poison somebody with open wounds rather than heal them. But by Jesus' time, Beelzebub was just one of the names, one of the many names associated with the realm of spiritual darkness. And apparently, Beelzebub, in their mind, was the was the prince of demons, the, the, the one in charge of the whole shebang. Uh, he was understood to be the great Satan. And so this Lord of the Dung Heap, this Lord of the Flies, the, the people were actually thinking that was the power behind the healing of this demon-possessed man here in Luke chapter 11. The religious leaders could and should have been rejoicing with the, the man who is now freed from the possession of the demon. But instead, they used this whole incident to condemn Jesus. Now, that should not have been a surprise by now. Because by now, the religious leaders have already made up their mind that Jesus was a threat to their power and needed to be exterminated quickly. There was an illustration, a story that I read this week about a missionary doctor who had gone into Africa, into a jungle tribe. and The people there were falling sick, and they were keeping on visiting the witch doctors, which they would need to pay. And so the witch doctors were getting richer and richer for giving them cures for their chants and incantations and things like that. Now, the missionary doctor, though, suspected and actually did some looking into it and soon discovered that it was actually the water near the village that was making them sick. The water had become contaminated. And so he wanted to show these people that it is not magic, right? And so he wanted to show evidence um, that, that this was caused by something in the water. So he set up a lab table there in the village. And he had a microscope and some other lab equipment there so that they could actually see for themselves. They could look into the microscope and see the bacteria in the water that was making them sick. Well, the next morning, after he had showed the tribal leaders this microscope, he woke up to find that the tribal leaders and the witch doctors had actually come along and smashed all of his lab equipment, even the microscope. See, because they thought, well, if we got rid of the microscope, then we get rid of the problem. And people will still come to us to fix what was going on. In other words, they were saying, don't show us the real issue. Because if you show us the real issue, then we're not needed. Now, that is a great example, an illustration of the religious leader's attitude towards what Jesus was doing here. So they decide, instead of embracing Jesus and what he's doing and celebrating the freedom of this man, they decide to condemn Jesus and then to smash and and all the evidence that is right there before them. They they figured, again, foolishly, get rid of Jesus, and they could get rid of the problem. Now, one last bit of irony before we continue to see how Jesus responds. 
immediately after they accused Jesus of being in league with Satan as he performed this miracle. There, there were there people who said, now, okay, show us more miracles then. <laughs> Which blows me away because if the miracles are being done through the power of Satan, as they were accusing Jesus of, why would they want to see more? Yeah, you're doing this through Satan's power. Can we see more? That doesn't make sense. Sometimes you just feel sorry for what Jesus has to deal with in his ministry. Anyway, let's look at Jesus's response there in verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, why is uh, their accusation illogically, uh, I'm sorry, illogical and frankly impossible, according to Jesus? Well, as Jesus explains, if Satan is behind the power of driving out demons, then the presumed intention behind the, the demon possession is undermined. In other words, why in the world, Jesus says, would Satan, whom they understood to be bent on taking over the lives of as many people as he can, why would Satan, who wants to control people, why would he command his agents to stop controlling people? That that doesn't make sense. That That goes against his purpose and his intent, right? And, and so Jesus knows it doesn't make sense. And so he asks them to these two questions, and he by the way, he doesn't give any answers. He's asking questions because he wants them to think. He, he said, come on, guys, use your brain. Your accusation makes zero sense. Now think about it. How am I able to overpower Satan? Well, how is he able to overpower Satan? Not through Satan's power. It's right there in verse 20. It's by the power of God, which absolutely leads to a reality that you cannot be ignorant of. There, there are some deep truths here about the reality of a spiritual war that is raging behind the scenes in our world even today. Look at verse 21 and 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So Jesus is likening the demons that are possessing these people, he's likening them to strong men that are fully armed, that are guarding what they think is their possessions. And so when they are going to be tossed out, it's a very violent process. They don't leave willingly because they're going to lose what they have. Now, you've probably heard of tectonic plates. Apparently, there's about 18 to 20 of them on Earth. These huge plates of rock that are floating on the magma. Uh, they make up the Earth's crust. The plates move around slowly on top of the, the magma that's below them. And occasionally, they collide. And when they do, magma, the, the stuff, the liquid rock, so hot underneath, can force its way through the gap between those tectonic plates and will erupt violently as what we know of as a volcano. But see, when you and I see images of a volcano erupting, all we see is the surface, right? 
We don't ever think about what's going on with the tectonic plates that have been moving and colliding with one another. Oh, we don't think of all the violence down below because we see the, the, the crazy chaos that's going on up above. So Jesus is essentially telling the crowd that as he's casting out these demons, that is evidence of something underlying, something much more powerful that's happening, something bigger that is happening. It's like these spiritual tectonic plates are colliding. It's like the kingdom of God over here on this tectonic plate has entered in the scene and clashes with Satan's kingdom This on this tectonic plate over here. And the impact releases people from its hold. There's power that is seen as the kingdom of God crashes into the kingdom of Satan. Pretty amazing when you think about it. And before we get to the so what for uh, us in our lives, uh, and I believe that the so what is going to be there, I want to recap about the realities of spirit, the spiritual realm and the spiritual war that we are engaged in. First of all, from all of this, we must remember that Satan is real. He is real, guys. He exists. And by the way, as the title Satan implies, see, Satan is not his name. Satan is his title. And it means adversary. So as that title implies, he is the one who is going against God, the adversary, the enemy, the one who opposes God's authority, the one who stands in the way and tries to do all he can to prevent God's work being done here on earth. Now, obviously, Jesus knows about the reality of Satan. And, and by the way, the way that Jesus is talking about Satan here, Beelzebub, Satan is not just a concept. Some of our liberal theologians are saying, well, Satan doesn't really exist. That Satan is just the evil that men uh, come up with on their own. Uh, to Jesus, it's very clear. Satan is not just a concept. Jesus says he is the strong man who is guarding what he thinks is his. And he has his armor, and he is persistent, and he will fill whatever vacuum that he is allowed access to. The problem with not understanding the spiritual world today is that you and I could walk right into traps that Satan has laid out. We can walk into those so easily without even knowing. We turn a blind eye to the spiritual realm and we'll walk right into spiritual realm traps. Some people say, well, how does the spiritual battle show up today? How, how, how do we know it's actually going on? Well, I'm sure you've known somebody who dabbled in things that offered them pleasure. Things like drugs or alcohol, things like pornography or uh, casual sexual connections, okay? And they thought, oh, I, this is okay. This is good. This is fun. I, I like it. It feels good. It, it's like the sweetness that an insect, like a fly, would find inside the workings of a Venus flytrap. Sweet, enticing good, pleasurable, and yet, boom, all of a sudden it's sticky and you can't get out of there. Pretty soon those uh, the, the mechanisms of the Venus flytrap begin to close in and eventually the acids of the plant begin to eat away and kill and, and erode the, the insect. You see, addictions happen without the slightest intent of getting addicted. I can handle this. I can handle this beer. I can handle this hard liquor. I can handle this pot. 
I can handle this methamphetamines. I can handle this uh, pornographic uh, movie. I can handle this little flirtatious relationship that I have at the office. I'm not, I don't need to be, I'm not going to get addicted. The fact that people are trapped proves the reality of those traps and the effectiveness of those traps. And if you don't know that they exist, if you don't believe that the spiritual world exists, then you could walk right into those traps without even knowing it. And you are trapped, addicted, pulled in and get eaten away. Just, but, but on the other hand, just because Satan is real doesn't mean that we have to fear him. Doesn't mean that, that we have to run away as cowards because he's so strong and powerful. You, you know, Satan doesn't have to win. In fact, he won't win. He doesn't, he won't win in the end. We know that. We, we've read the end of the book. Uh, I, I was told one time that uh, next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because one day he's going to lose. But even in your struggle, in, in these sins that uh, you can be addicted by, and, and the sins that can take control of your life, Satan doesn't have to win. In fact, I, I used to tell a joke that... Uh, being on Satan's side is like being a New York Jets fan. You, you know that you're going to lose. I, I just heard a, a great sound bite. Uh, somebody had pretended to, to be a referee at a game. And it sounds just like the opening up of, of an NFL football game where the referee uh, says, uh, the New York Jets have won the toss. They have elected to not take the field. Which is funny, because if you know the NFL, if you know the Jets, they have struggled for a long, long time. They're not going to win. That's like Satan. Satan doesn't is not going to win in the end, and he does not have to win in your life either. Okay, but That doesn't mean that he's going to roll over, play dead. No, he's going to use his influence to trip us up, to trap us, to drag us down. And some of you say, oh, see, yeah, I know Satan made me do this. Satan's getting at me. Jesus said, hey, listen, yeah, we have an enemy, but don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Why? Because we have a Lord that has overcome. And we're also told that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Satan doesn't have to win. He doesn't have to win. The, the influence in our lives, the, the demons have, that Satan has, does not have to trip us up and make us sin. Because, yes, Satan is real. But on the other hand, my second point is in this spiritual battle, you need to understand that Jesus is royal and regal and righteous, and he is ruler of all. Yeah, Satan is real, but Jesus is ruler. I love how Jesus frames this whole argument over the power to be able to cast out demons. First off there in verse 20, he, he attributes the power to the finger of God. What a great concept, the finger of God. That, that's a concept that actually begins in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 8, Moses is displaying God's power through the plagues inflicted on Egypt. Pharaoh, of course, has refused God's command to let the people go. So God demonstrates his power. And the power in these plagues actually shows power over all of these false gods of the Egyptians. They had the god of the Nile, so the Nile turns to blood. They had, uh, they had the gods of, of frogs, and now frogs are all over the place, and flies, and gnats, and uh, livestock is destroyed, though they have you know, the agricultural god, darkness over the land, hailstones. All the, that flying in the face of the gods that the Egyptians trusted in. 
Interestingly enough, when you read that passage, you'll see that e Egypt had some magicians. Pharaoh had some magicians in his court, and those magicians were actually able to imitate the first two plagues. Moses turned the Nile to blood. They did the same. All of a sudden, all these frogs were all around. The magicians were able to bring up frogs. Now, that shouldn't surprise you, these magicians bringing up frogs and making the Nile turn to blood. Uh, that had to be a trick, right? Well, no, listen, as a spiritual being, Satan has a certain power to imitate the things of God. He's got power. And part of his power is that he can imitate the things of God. For instance, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, we're told that he disguises himself as an angel of light at times. Uh, in Revelation, the, the mark of the beast, that's just an imitation of the mark that God had put on the forehead of his own people to protect them from the wrath that is found in Revelation. Satan even has a, a an imitation Christ, an antichrist, a, a, in place of Christ, to imitate the real Christ. So it doesn't surprise me that the magicians would be able to replicate a couple of the, the plagues. Not a, not a big deal. But when that third plague shows up, that's when the magicians realize that they are over their heads. In, in verse 18 of chapter 8, we are told that when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And so they say to the Pharaoh, they actually say, this is the finger of God. That's the first time we see that phrase, finger of God. Later on in Exodus, in chapter 31, the tablets of stone that Moses brought down from the mountain, the, the, the stones which contained the law of God, they were said to have been inscribed by the finger of God. Uh, you jump to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Uh, the King Belshazzar, while he was conducting his drunken orgy there in the palace, the hand of God appears, and the finger of God writes a message of judgment on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, apasin. The Lord has weighed you and found you wanting, and now your kingdom will be taken away from you and divided up against amongst your enemies. So those are those three passages that talk about the finger of God. In the New Testament, in John 8, when the religious leaders were bringing this woman who had been caught in adultery to Jesus, when they asked Jesus to pronounce judgment, the Mosaic judgment, the judgment of Moses, the gospel account records that Jesus said nothing at first, but just bent down to write with his finger in the sand. Now, we're, not, we're never told what he wrote. It doesn't say, but there is speculation based on a couple of other passages from the Old Testament that there's a good chance that Jesus was actually writing down the sins of those men who had brought the woman to him to be judged. It was like Jesus was saying, well, you want judgment? <laughs> Are you sure you want judgment? What if I bring judgment to your life as well? Are you okay with that? So he dismissed them by saying, well, whoever is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone at this woman. And one by one, starting with the older ones first, they dropped their rocks and left. See, the finger of God, great concept. It obviously symbolizes authority and power and judgment. And this is what Jesus attributes the, the casting out of demons to. He says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then there's this huge implication. It means that God is ready to take back what Satan has taken away. Satan has been the strong man who thought he had possession of us. 
He had gained possession, possession of mankind way back in the Garden of Eden. But now Jesus is saying there's a new sheriff in town. And it's, by the way, it's a sheriff that's been there all along. It's not, it's not like he's brand new. He's been watching. He knows what's going on. He's taking names now and he's busting heads. So now we get to the so what, the implication for you and I today. Beyond the fact that Satan is still real and he's still active and beyond the fact that Jesus is still regal and royal and still ruler of all. So what's the so what? What's the implication? It's simple. You have a choice. You have a choice. You get to say whose team you're going to be on. Satan is not so powerful that he cannot take away your choice. You have a choice. Now, you and I have been freed from the penalty of sin through Jesus' death. That is available to all of us. What an amazing gift of God's grace. The sacrifice of Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin is powerful. It's amazing grace. We are forgiven. But guess what? We still have a choice. We can be, we can be made more like Jesus. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want to just forgive us. He wants to purify us. There's a, there's a difference. Being forgiven is a work of God, a work of Jesus on the cross that comes down through his grace and has the power to take away our sin. The stain of sin, the penalty of our sin, it's, it's been paid, it's, it's gone. But it's not just enough to be freed from the penalty of sin. God also wants us to be freed from the power of sin. Let's listen to how Jesus finishes up his teaching on the spiritual war that rages in our lives. In verses 23 through 26, whoever is not with me, Jesus says, is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Oh, see, Jesus is not just talking about houses here and demons. He's talking about people's lives, their bodies, their beings. Okay, The last state of that person, not the house, but the person is worse than the first. It's worse than the first. See, we can be cleansed, just like this house, just like this person that Jesus is talking about. But apparently, if you don't stand guard, Satan can drag you down even further. Have you ever thought about that? You know, back in the 80s, Nancy Reagan, the first lady of the United States, would say she'd go around to schools and encourage kids to not do drugs. She'd say, just say no. That was a good campaign, really. It was. I mean, we still understand just say no, right? But it was a, a campaign that truly lacked the power to change our culture. Yes, some people were able to say no to drugs, but not everybody was. Not everybody even wanted to. If just say no would have worked, we would not have been dealing with drugs in our culture even today because it didn't have the power to break people free from the addictions that they had caught, been caught up in. You ever wonder why they had to say no? Why she had to tell them to say no? It's because they had said yes, right? They had said yes. 
there was a reason in their life that they said yes. There was a temptation to fill up the, this void in their life. And so they said yes to that. So and that void, by the way, came from our rebellion against God and, and our separation from God. Because of Adam's sin, we are born into this void, this spiritual death. But that's not God's design. That's not how God created us. It became our reality because of the curse of sin. See, it's great to be able to say no to sin, but it's not enough, according to what Jesus says here in Luke 11. You can say no, but if you then don't say yes to something to fill up that gap, then you're in trouble. If you don't fill up the gap with something better, you are leaving yourself open for that demon, that thing that you said no to, to, to look around and find seven other of his <clears throat> of his friends or six of others' friends, so that they're coming back, and now they are seven times stronger, seven times stronger than what you had said no to in the first place. You can't just say no until you say yes. Saying no to sin, evicting that strong man, is just one step in the process. Your life must be reoccupied by a brand new Lord, a better Lord, a Lord that is stronger than your last tenant, a Lord stronger than Satan, who, if he does take up residence and fills your life, he will make sure that Satan does not have possession of your life ever again. But, Here's the caveat. He must take up residence in order for that to happen. He must become Lord of the manor, if you will. In verse 23, Jesus does say, whoever is not with me is against me. So in Jesus' mind, there is no middle ground. There's no straddling the two tectonic plates. Either Satan is going to come back into your life with a greater force, or Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life, period. You can say no. You can think you're saying no to Satan, to sin, to temptation. But until we bring Jesus into our lives, we're still on shaky ground, in danger of really losing it, struggling with more and more and more crud that we can't control, taking us further and further and further away from the place of hope and rescue. So as I conclude today's message, let me ask you, if you are in the middle, thinking that, eh, I, I think I'm doing okay. Please take note of what Jesus said. The middle ground isn't safe. The middle ground actually isn't even possible. Jesus likes to shake those who are on the fence. You can't stay on the fence. You got to land one place or the other. Ultimately, all of us are either for him or against him. We are not counted for just by default. If we are not clearly for, then we are against. So it's essential that we choose. Yes, Satan is real, and yes, Jesus is ruler. But folks, this is what this passage is all about. You must make a choice. You cannot just play for both teams, if you will. You know, on January 1st, 1929, the University of California Golden Bears, now just called the Cal Bears, they faced the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. This is back in 1929. They met uh, in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California on January 1st. And something particularly happened midway through the second quarter. The Cal Bears' Roy Regals, or Regals, I guess, Regals, uh, picked up a fumble. 
Georgia Tech had fumbled the ball, and uh, Regals picked up the ball and began. He, he's 25 yards away from making a touchdown. He picks it up, and he begins to run towards that end zone to make that touchdown, but something happened. He gets confused. And the unimaginable happened as he begins to actually turn around and runs 75 yards in the wrong way. And all of a sudden, one of the guys on his team is running after him with all of his might, trying to reach him before he makes it into the opposing team's end zone. And he gets tackled. And, and, and it's really embarrassing. He said, I, I wanted to... Once I realized what was going on, he said, my teammate kept shouting at me, you're going in the wrong direction. And I thought he was just crazy. And then he tackled me. And I was like, he was like at the one foot line right before he got in. It was crazy. He said, I I just wanted to dig a hole and and crawl in right there. He didn't want to even uh, come back out uh, after the the intermission, after the uh, halftime. See, that's not something you want to be remembered for, right? Playing for trying to play for both teams, essentially. It, it wasn't his intention, but he was helping the other team. See, we can't play for both teams. That's, that's not a reality. And as you can see, there's a very real possibility that without a clear understanding of where your goal line is, you could fall into confusion and actually make a stand against God's team. So today, as you're listening to this message, today's a great day to make that choice. You can find the power to stand against the temptation that the enemy throws at you every day. You can actually be an overcomer as well. You can be more than overcomers. You can actually be able to get rid of the stuff that drags you down. You can stand in the confidence knowing that you're on the team that is destined to win, not just for eternity, but even in these small little battles, these skirmishes right now. But it's a choice that you have to make. Who is going to be the Lord of your house, of your life? That's why it was so powerful for Joshua as he was uh, finishing out his ministry uh, for the people of Israel that had come into Israel, into the promised land. He says, guys, now from here on out, make your choice. You can choose to serve God or you can choose to serve the gods of the Canaanites. Make your choice. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serving the Lord, allowing him to come into your house will prevent Satan from bringing all of those other uh, demonic influences in. Because greater is he that is in us then than he that is in the world. We have a choice. We have a choice. But it's not just a, well, I'm going to dabble over here and dabble over there. You'll, you'll be just like uh, wrong way Roy Regals who almost made a costly mistake because he wasn't paying attention. He didn't have his eyes on his own goal. If you don't choose the right side, then you know that you're on the wrong side. There's only two sides. If you're, if you're not choosing Jesus' side, there's only one other choice, and you can be sure that you're making the wrong choice headed in the wrong direction. So I, I just want to encourage you, make sure that you're making the right choice, making Jesus Lord, keeping in mind that Satan is real, but he doesn't have to win. He doesn't have to win with your anger, with your drinking, 
with your lying, with your thieving, with your lust, with your uh, dabbling outside of your marriage. He doesn't have to win because we have a, a God that is stronger. We, Jesus is stronger than that, and he can overpower that strong man. But you got to let him in. You can't, you can't push Jesus out. You've got to recognize that it is the power of God, the finger of God that comes in and is able to bring his authority in. So I would just encourage you, once again, to come to understand what it means to make Jesus Lord and Savior, to declare that he is Lord of your life is not just to say the words, but to really, truly put yourself under his authority. With that, I'm going to say goodbye. Until next week, thank you uh, very much for my team, for Steve Pittman, for getting all the tech stuff up and running here at the church, for Lisa Welly, for all that she does uh, behind the scenes and getting these podcasts up and running. And thank you for uh, listening again. If you're ever in our area, we would love to have you stop by and let us know that you are listening to us. That always is an encouragement. May God bless you and shine through you this week. <laughs>